Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, the second chapter. We're going to be reading some verses there. In fact, you might even keep your finger or lay your marker there because we'll come back to this a couple of other times throughout the lesson. Got a couple of passages we're just going to kind of use as our primary base of operation. And the first of those is 1 Timothy, the second chapter. As you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, I will say how great it is to see everybody this morning. So glad that you are here. We do have guests with us today and we are just delighted to have you with us uh, on this kind of overcast first day of the week. But it is the Lord's Day and that just makes it the best day of the week regardless of the weather and what's going on outside. I'm glad that uh, that you're here, that you're here uh, getting to see more faces and just good to be able to, to sing together and to pray together and right now to study together. Let's do that in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. I'm reading here beginning in verse 11. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 11, there Paul writes, Let a woman woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Last week, the Saddleback Church in Southern California drew national headlines when they, for the very first time, ordained three women pastors. Now, that was attention-grabbing. In fact, it kind of grabbed some national headlines because Saddleback is one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And throughout their history, the SBC has been staunchly opposed to women serving in leadership positions in the church. In fact, that very statement was incorporated into the doctrines of faith that the SBC ordained back in the year 2000. Now, that recent surge and that recent interest in this idea of women serving as preachers and pastors and those kinds of leadership things, it's caused quite the stir within the Southern Baptist Convention, particularly with the denomination's annual conference coming up just in a few weeks. What's going to happen when they convene for that? It's caused lots and lots of people to start re-examining women's roles in the church. And the truth of the matter is, what happened at the Saddleback Church really should not have caught anybody by surprise at all. Because in the last 25, 30 years or so, we have seen many mainstream churches slowly but surely progress and push the envelope as it pertains to women's roles in the church. And the fact of the matter is... That's even been true in churches of Christ. For example, in 1990, a church of Christ in Birmingham, Alabama announced their decision to gradually start including women in leadership roles, including the appointment of female deacons, deaconesses. Then in 1992, a church of Christ in Houston, Texas, they began encouraging their women to lead in singing, lead in prayer, wait on the Lord's table, serving in those capacities. Let me ask you, if women are leading in singing and leading in prayer in the public assembly, if they're waiting on the table and if they're serving in the office of a deacon, what do you think is going to happen next? You know what was going to happen next. In July of 2013, the Church of Christ in Stamford, Connecticut announced that they had hired a woman by the name of Naomi Walters as their pulpit minister. Now, if hearing all of that makes you uncomfortable, then prepare to get really, really uncomfortable. Because I did a little bit of research and I found a website that is actually set up to be a directory of, and I quote, a directory of gender-inclusive churches of Christ. 
That website includes nearly 100 churches in the United States that openly claim, churches of Christ, that claim to be gender-inclusive. One of those congregations actually touts themselves this way, and I quote, We are a more progressive church of Christ that is gender-inclusive. And we try to live out our Christian walks without the legalism and the fundamentalism that has given so many churches of Christ a bad name. Well, who wants to be labeled as a legalist? Who wants to be known as fundamentalist? And yet despite all of those innovations concerning the role of women in churches of Christ today, our opening text in 1 Timothy chapter 2 still says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. My question to you this morning is, what does that mean? What is that talking about? Does that passage still apply today with the same force and the same meaning that it had when Paul originally wrote those words nearly 2,000 years ago? We need to understand this morning some things about gender roles in the kingdom of God. We need to understand some things about the role of men and the role of women in the Lord's church. And as we do that this morning and as we think about that, I need to appeal to you to listen very, very carefully. And I need to ask you to think what I'm going to call slowly. That is, don't jump to conclusions. Don't get ahead of me. I'm going to cover what I hope is going to be everything here. So you'll need to kind of slowly track along and not just jump to thoughts that maybe we are prone to have. Which means, for example, this morning, do not think to yourself, Oh, bunch of chauvinists. I hear that guy up there talking. Bunch of chauvinist pigs here telling women they can't do this and can't do that. No, 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 no. Slow down. Slow thinking today. We want to hear what God has to say. Maybe kind of on the other extreme, maybe you'll be thinking this morning, I tell you what, my grandpappy wouldn't have stood for women getting up in the pulpit and preaching. That's just absolutely absurd. No, 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 no. Slow, slow, careful thinking today. It doesn't matter what your grandpappy thought. And it certainly doesn't matter what our society thinks. This is about what God says in His Word. And we need to think very carefully about that this morning, about the role that women play in the kingdom of God, particularly as this is an issue that is gaining more and more traction in the religious world today. Now, as I said earlier, there are two fundamentally important passages in this discussion, and we just read the first of those in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Can we go and grab that next one? In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter... Let's read this passage, and that way we'll get both of these in front of us, and then we'll just kind of work with them a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 14, I'm reading here in verse 33. Same author, the Apostle Paul. What's he say here? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, having set those two passages in front of us, let's talk about some things to begin with. Let's talk about some things that these passages are not saying. What these verses do not mean. And I want to start with this one. These verses are not saying that a woman has to be absolutely silent in the assembly and that she cannot ever say anything 
ever. Did you notice that just a few moments ago before I got up into the pulpit that our women were speaking in the church? (gasps) They were. All of our women who were opening their mouth and singing, they were involved in speaking in the assembly of the church. You were speaking in song. If a woman is well, at the conclusion of this lesson, if a woman comes forward in response to the invitation of Christ and says that she wants to obey the gospel, I'm going to ask that woman to stand up and I'm going to ask her, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And then that woman, she's going to open her mouth and she's going to say something to affirm her faith, to make that confession of faith in the Lord. And so this idea that women can't speak in church, where's that coming from? Where's that idea coming from? Our women speak in every single one of our assemblies. They do that all the time. What Paul is saying in these passages, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14 specifically, is not an absolute prohibition against all speaking of any kind. And I know that because of what Paul says a little bit earlier in the text. Would you back up? Back up to verse 27, same chapter. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 27. Paul says, If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let me ask you, does that mean that the tongue speaker could not sing when the singing was going on? Does that mean that the tongue speaker could not come forward and make a confession in front of the congregation? Absolutely not. What that passage meant is that meant that the tongue speaker needed to keep silent in exercising that gift. And so that means for us that we need to just keep 1 Corinthians 14 squarely in its context here. We don't want to paint with broad strokes and say, oh, women have to be absolutely silent in church at all times. If we say that, we're just going to look really, really foolish. Just like we're also going to look foolish if we say that these passages mean that a woman cannot ever teach a man under any circumstances ever. That's another misconception. That's another one of those statements that gets lobbed out sometimes even by well-meaning brethren and it's just not true that a woman cannot ever teach a man. Can I ask you this? If I'm standing in the foyer this morning after services and I'm shaking hands and or at least folks that'll let me shake their hands and saying howdy doody and saying bye to folks as they're leaving, if some sister comes up to me and they say, Josh, that was a really good lesson today. You know, you read this verse over here and it got me to thinking and then maybe they pull out their Bible and they say, it got me to thinking about this passage over here and they begin to start making a point. Am I supposed to in that moment say, put it down, get away from me, sister? You can't be saying those things to me right now. That's teaching a man. Is that where we are with that? Is that what we want to say? Is that what we think that that passage is talking about in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy? What about when we're singing? When we're singing, yes, number one, our ladies were speaking in the assembly. But you know what else our ladies were doing as they sang? Our ladies also, according to Colossians 3 verse 16, they were teaching. They were teaching. That means that all the ladies here this morning, you were teaching me. And you were teaching all of the other men in this assembly. Yes, you were. We were all teaching each other as we sang those songs. The fact of the matter is, women teach in lots of different ways. 
They teach through their influence. They teach through their example. My mother, my grandmother before her, they have taught me so much. My wife continues to teach me things. In fact, can we just go ahead and bring Acts chapter 18 into this discussion? In Acts the 18th chapter, we're actually told here specifically without any question that in the Bible there was a woman who was involved in teaching a man. In Acts 18, I'm reading here in verse 26 about Apollos. Here's a young guy who knows some of the gospel, but he doesn't know everything about the gospel. And so we're told, Acts 18 verse 26, that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the husband, they took him. They took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, we can all have our opinions or ideas about what all that teaching involved and what level of teaching that Priscilla was involved in that process, but there's no doubt about it, she was involved in that. She was involved in some way in the teaching of that Man, and I think we need to just settle this right here for all time. Women can teach men. Now I want you to listen very carefully. Slow thinking. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is going to prohibit a certain manner of teaching, a certain kind of teaching, and we'll get to that momentarily. But it does not prohibit all teaching. Maybe the most important thing that we need to say in this connection is that neither of these passages nor any other passage in the Bible, says somehow that God has shortchanged women or that God does not value women. Now if you spend time listening to or reading the various justifications that churches and people are making today for women serving in these kinds of roles in the church, what it kind of almost amounts to when you hear folks talk is it kind of almost comes across like as if God God just doesn't like women. God just doesn't care for women. They're kind of second-class citizens in His kingdom. That God has limited women. God has placed shackles upon them. and He's keeping them down and is preventing them from being everything that they could be. And yes, while that may have been acceptable and worked in like the, the first century in bad old primitive Roman Empire times, here in the 21st century, we're so much more woke. Here in the 21st century, we just know so much better. Not only is that almost blasphemous, it's just wrong. It is. It's wrong. God doesn't hate women. God doesn't devalue women. God has not sent women off into the spiritual wilderness somewhere while men are over here doing the really important and the really necessary work in the kingdom. All throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, women are held up and revered and valued. They are important and they do enormously important work for God. I'm thinking about women like Deborah and Esther and Ruth and Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus, He consistently talks to and treats women very well, way better than the culture around Him often did. People like Mary and Martha, they were critically important to Jesus and to His ministry. And of course, who was it that was the very first at the empty tomb on that fateful Sunday morning? It was women. And they ended up being the first to begin publicizing the good news of the resurrected Lord. Ladies, don't let anybody tell you that somehow God has deprived you of some great thing because God just doesn't really value you. 
In fact, I'm going to hope that most of our older ladies already understand that. So let me say that to our younger ladies. Young ladies, don't you listen to and buy in to the foolishness and the feminist nonsense that is pervading our culture today that wants to tell you that you know what, you're missing out. You're being deprived by those big bad people down there. When women believe that, it leads to no good place. God hasn't shortchanged women. What God has done is He has given men and women important work to do in the kingdom. I appreciate Derek leading that song a few moments ago. There is room in the kingdom. There is work that we all can do. And that brings us to what might very well be the most important passage whenever you're having this discussion. And that's in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Would you find 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I read this passage last Sunday night in the sermon uh, talking then about kids and the church. I need to lean upon these verses again this morning for kind of different reasons. But this is, gives to us the key principle that helps us so much in how we think about it, and in fact how we discuss this issue with others. In 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter, look at the metaphor that Paul uses as he talks about the church as a body. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? We need everybody. If everybody was the same one thing, then, then it wouldn't really be a body, would it? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. You know, the moment somebody says, now preacher, you can't get up and preach these kinds of things. It just sounds sexist. It just sounds discriminatory. People just freak out when they hear the kinds of things that I'm teaching this morning. Let me ask you this. If my elbow said to the rest of my body, you know what, today, today I'd like to be an ear. Yeah, I'm going to take off from being an elbow. I'm going to be an ear today. Would it be discriminatory for me to then say to my elbow, elbow? That's not for you. It's not for you to be an ear. Would that be prejudiced of me to say that? Would it be wrong of me to say to my elbow, elbow? That's not your role. What the New Testament is teaching us is that each and every one of us are called to play our roles in the body of Christ. You have a role to play. I have a role to play. And if you get out of your role, if I get out of my role, then that's just going to cause confusion, isn't it? That's going to cause all kinds of problems. You know, imagine waking up one morning and saying, I can't see, I can't see, where are my eyes? And your eyes somehow are able to speak to you and say, well, today we decided we wanted to be on the feet. We decided that we wanted to be toes today. What are you going to say to your eyes? You're going to say, eyes, get back up here where you belong. I can't function if you're not in your role. In the body, every single member is needed. And every member is needed to do their role. But I want you to notice verse 18 again. Would you look at verse 18 of that chapter? Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12, But as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Do you notice there? God's the one who decided on this. God's the one who's done the arranging. He's the one who determined who's going to fit where and who's going to do what. And accordingly, God has given men and women different roles. Different roles to fulfill in the body. And that really is the key principle for this entire sermon. That men and women are different. And as a result, they do different things in the kingdom. That's important. Because what happens all too often, I'm afraid, is what ends up happening right here in Corinth. Do you know why Paul had to write these things to the church at Corinth? It's because everybody was envious of certain gifts. What was the cool gift to have at Corinth? Tongue speaking. Tongue speaking was flashy. Tongue speaking was cool. In fact, I think it would be pretty neat to be endowed with the gift of speaking in tongues in a foreign language that you had never understood before. I'd like to do that. And the fact of the matter is, that coveting of that particular gift and role in first century times, it's really no different today. We're still having that same trouble. Everybody seems to want to do the things that's going to garner them all kinds of, all kinds of praise and adulation, and people coming and patting them on the back and telling them what a great job they did. I want to be an elder. I want to be an elder so that I can be the leader of the congregation and everybody looks up to me. I want to lead the singing. I want to show everybody what a great singer that I am and how great I am at directing us in song. Isn't it interesting that we don't ever seem to have people in competition and campaigning and elbowing to sign up to teach the preschool class? And why is that? Well, because all too often, instead of us asking the question, what is my role? Where can I fit and render service in the body? Instead, what we're asking is, what's going to get me all the spotlight? What's going to get me all kinds of praise and get me up front and get people to look and be impressed with me? Truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, men and women are different. Women can do some things that men cannot do, just can't do. You want me to give you an example of that? Women can have babies. It's been my experience that men are really poor at that. We just can't do that. We're just not very good at having babies, men. Somebody maybe says, Josh, you need to be careful there about almost kind of talking like you wish for being able to have babies. You know, that having baby stuff, that's just not always as pleasant as it is made out to be. And yes, I do have some understanding about that, having sat in the delivery room on two occasions with my wife. But I know this. I know that that experience that a woman has when she brings a new life into this world, that it is singular. That it is amazing and it is incredible and it is unlike anything that any man could ever do or ever experience. It bonds that woman to that child in a unique and powerful way. And as men, we kind of just step back and we're just kind of in awe at that and how that mother and that baby, what they're able to do being joined together in that way. Should I pout about that? Should I be upset about that? Well, God didn't let me do that. God just doesn't care about me. I'm just a dad. What are people going to say as soon as I say that? People are going to say, Josh, being a dad is important. Being a father is a really important role. Can I ask you, why then have we allowed women, why then have we allowed our sisters 
to get sold down the river on this business of, well, you just don't get to do anything in the kingdom of God like all the men get to do. When Paul wrote that letter to Timothy, the very same letter that we've read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, in that same exact letter, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I thank God for your mother. I thank God for your grandmother. I thank God for those godly women who taught you the truth. Paul seemed to think that that was really, really important. And it was. Why is it then that we have decided that things like making the announcements or leading a public prayer or preaching a sermon, oh, that's real kingdom work. Do you want to know the truth? I could stand and I could preach 10,000 sermons on loving one another. And it will never ever have the impact of just one sister making a meal and taking it to some sick family and delivering it to them and saying, we love you and we're thinking about you and I made you supper. I could preach till I'm blue in the face and it will never have the effect of that one sister doing that one act of service. Women do tremendously important work in the kingdom. They do important work in teaching children, important work in caring for the sick and afflicted, important work in helping those who are weeping and those who are mourning. In fact, they're usually lots better at that than men are. They do important work in raising their families. Older women do important work in teaching and training younger women, as Titus chapter 2 talks about. Why have we allowed people to convince us that those things don't matter? God's Word says those things are actually the very essence of service in the kingdom. We're called to serve. We're not called to shine a spotlight on ourselves. The truth of the matter is in Scripture, when we talk about those differences between men and women, and when we begin to talk about as well the amazing things that women can do in exercising and showing love and care and compassion and service, the truth is men likewise are called upon to fill a role. And what is that role? Well, the role men are called to play is the role of leadership. That is what God made us to do, men. And of course, we see that all throughout the Scriptures, don't we? You go back to the very beginning, and who is it that God predominantly is communicating with? It's with the men. He communicates with the man, the husband, the father, the patriarch of the family. Who is it that is called upon to lead the people of God? Nearly all of the time, it is men like Moses, Joshua, It's kings like David and Solomon. It's men. Who did Jesus call to come and follow Him? He called apostles, not apostolettes. Who is it that is called upon to lead local congregations? It's elders, the husbands of one wife. Who is it that leads the home? It's husbands, it's fathers, it's men that are called to lead their families. I would submit to you that none of that can be disputed. There's just nothing you can even say. That's not even up for debate at all. That is a matter of scriptural, factual record that men are called to lead and men, we need to be fulfilling that role. Just like women need to be fulfilling their role and all of us need to fulfill our roles joyfully and gladly. Now, understanding these ideas I I think then helps us when we then go back to those passages that we began with in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. In fact, can we go back to 1 Corinthians 14 again? In 1 Corinthians 14, let's see if we can navigate our way through that. When Paul says there in verse 34, he says that women are 
to keep silent in the churches. Now, as we pointed out earlier, that does not mean completely mute, mouth closed, tape your mouth shut, can't ever say anything in the assembly. Because that very same word silent is used back up in verse 28, talking about the tongue speaker. That the tongue speaker needed to keep silent in respect to that gift on that occasion, but the tongue speaker could still sing, could come forward and make a confession. It's not forbidding all speech in its context. It's forbidding a certain kind of speech. And that gets us to the understanding of these passages because what these passages are teaching, what Paul is talking about here, is he is talking about a woman in a mixed assembly who takes control of that assembly to address or to speak to that assembly in an authoritative way. Paul is saying that a woman cannot lead the assembly in that manner. Just like the tongue speaker is told in verses 27 and 28 not to lead the assembly by giving his revelation without an interpreter. In the same way, a woman is not to lead the assembly by presiding, directing, exercising authority over a mixed group. Now, I want to interject right here. And I keep kind of giving qualifiers, but I want to say again, that does not mean that a woman cannot sing in worship. That does not mean that a woman cannot make a confession. That does not mean that a woman cannot ask a question in a Bible class. That does not even mean that a woman, whenever called upon, cannot add to the announcements. Sometimes a woman, a sister, will come to me after services and she'll say, hey, Brother Josh, I, 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 I had a thought in Bible class and I had this comment and I, I wanted to share it, but I don't know, I mean, those passages in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy... It, it made me think that it wasn't appropriate for me to speak up and to make that comment. Well, sister, let me say to you, first of all, don't violate your conscience. Okay, that's important. If that's your understanding of that, and that's your conviction about that, don't violate your conscience. But I would encourage you, secondly, to re-study what these passages mean. Because these passages are not saying that you can't make a comment in a Bible class. That passage is talking about a certain kind of speaking. It's talking about taking command of the assembly. It's talking about presiding, directing, addressing in an authoritative way over a man in a mixed group. That's what Paul's talking about in that passage. In fact, I believe that exact same thing is what's being taught in 1 Timothy 2. Can we grab that again? 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 11 now. Understanding it with all of this behind us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. We fixate on the quietly part. I think the focus is the word submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. There's the emphasis. Rather she is to remain quiet. Maybe what we need to notice most of all from 1 Timothy chapter 2 is the context of these instructions. Because where, what venue, what environment is Paul talking about here? Where's this not to be going on at? Well, if you drop down to chapter 3, Paul tells us exactly where this is not to be going on at. Chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Paul is talking here about how Christians are to conduct themselves in their work together, in the assembly, in the church, which means that in the church... A woman is not to take charge or preside or direct 
or do things in a way that's going to be exercising authority over a mixed group. 1 Timothy 2 forbids that kind of thing in the household of God. And by the way, can I just toss this in here? These verses are not saying anything about what a woman might do in her business. I'm thinking about Lydia in Acts the 16th chapter who was a seller of purple. This isn't telling Lydia what she can or cannot do as the CEO of her own company. This passage does not say that a woman cannot be president of the PTA or that a woman cannot teach a high school history class with young men present or that a woman cannot vote or that a woman somehow cannot run for public office or be even the president of the United States. 1 Timothy chapter 2 isn't addressing any of those things. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is talking about our roles and our work in the kingdom of God, how we act and behave in the church. And in the kingdom of God, what does Paul say? Paul says that he wants male leadership to be respected. That's what these passages are teaching. And when you begin to see how all of that just, it just fits together, and how it harmonizes with the whole of Scripture, you come to realize it's, it's really not all that complicated. Somebody may be asked, well, well, how come a woman can't preach? How come a woman can't be an elder in the church? And the answer is really quite simple, isn't it? That's not the role God's given her. That's the answer. You have that conversation with a friend or a neighbor, that's your answer. That's just not the role that God has given to women. Now, of course, as soon as you say that, you're probably going to be greeted with lots of different objections. Can I give you two of probably the most popular of those objections and what we want to say about that? First of all, somebody says, yeah, okay, I, I, I see what the Bible says and I've read those verses too, but you know what, Josh? That's just, a, that's just a cultural thing. That was just the way that that culture worked in New Testament first century times. You know, I wonder sometimes if this cultural argument I wonder if that means that we can just pretty much tear anything that we want out of the Bible. Because when you stop and think about it, everything that happens in the Bible happens in a culture. Everything is cultural. Whether that's the Egyptian culture, or the Palestinian culture, or the Babylonian culture, or the Assyrian culture, or the Judean culture, or the Roman culture. There's just culture everywhere. What can't you take out of the Bible if you're just going to chalk that up to being just a cultural thing? We need to think about that. and We need to think about what culture is and how that does factor in because the fact of the matter is it could be something that's based simply in the culture but it might also be something else. I'm thinking for example about the fact that this morning I am not wearing a long robe and sandals. And why is that? Well because that was certainly the culture in first century Palestine. But that is not the culture today. Instead, I'm wearing a suit and a tie. But what is this issue based in? Talking about this women and their, their role in the church and all this sort of stuff. What is this issue based in? Well, do you still got 1 Timothy 2 opened up? Would you look back in verse 11 again? Look in verse 11 again. 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Verse 13 now. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Do you see it? This isn't something that's rooted in culture. This isn't based on, oh, well, that's how everybody did things in those times. No, this is something that is rooted in the order of creation. This is rooted in the very way that God made things. 
We'll see that again. Look in 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, Paul says this, talking here about order and talking about headship and where's all that come from. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm reading in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Well, hold on, Paul. Who says that a man gets to be the head of the woman? Well, the Lord does. Drop down to verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. You know, Paul is certainly capable of talking about cultural practices. But when he addresses the role of women in the church and in the kingdom, that's not where he hinges all of this on. Paul speaks about this in terms of the very order that God set up from the very beginning. So don't be fooled by all this cultural line of argumentation, which leads me then to maybe this second argument that you're bound to hear. And that is, Brother Josh, okay, I I, I hear you on all of that, but but, but I'm still at, at a crossroads here because what this means is, is this means that you're keeping me from using my gifts. Back in 2014, there was a church down in the Nashville area, the 4th Avenue Church of Christ, who hired their first female preaching intern. Her name was Lauren King. And in advance of her beginning that work there in that position, uh, the church put out a video on YouTube of uh, her being interviewed about that, how excited she was about that. And in that interview she said she was so excited because finally she gets to use her gift. She went on to say about how little girls can now look up to her because they can now know that they can use their gifts too. And when you listen to that, it's it's a really powerful, kind of emotional line of logic. It really tugs at your heartstrings. Because after all, who wants to be the one to come along and say, now listen here, Missy, you can't be using your gift here in this context. Who wants to be the person that comes along and stops people from using their talents? But you know, I've thought about that a little bit. And I've realized that since I'm the only one standing up here right now in the pulpit doing preaching, I guess what that means is is that means that I'm preventing all the rest of you from using your gifts, aren't I? There's a lot of people in this room who have amazing talents in speaking. There are lots of people in this room who have a great grasp of the Scriptures and understand the Word of God. I guess me preaching this morning, it's keeping all the rest of you from using your gifts, isn't it? What a bunch of nonsense. In the kingdom, we all have various abilities and various gifts. But whether we like it or not, God has placed limitations on us using our gifts. You remember what we read back in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 27 and 28 about that tongue speaker? Here's a guy who is speaking in tongues. He is receiving inspired revelations from God. I mean, he's just full. He's he's ready to get those revelations out to others. And yet God says that if there's not an interpreter present, he's going to need to sit down. We're sorry, brother tongue speaker. I know you've got a word from God, but we don't have anybody to interpret for you. You're going to have to be seated. That man or that woman was limited. And the same is true for us today in the church. What if a brother comes into our assembly who is from France and he only speaks French, Brother Pierre. And imagine Brother Pierre wants to lead our assembly in prayer. 
Somebody says, oh, Brother Pierre, he, to hear his beautiful French dialect, oh, it sounds so beautiful. You, you need to hear this guy prayer. He's just the best prayer that you ever did hear. Well, I'm sorry, Brother Pierre, if you can't speak in English in this assembly, then you're going to have to sit down. Because none of us here speak French. At least I know that I don't speak French, and I'm guessing the majority of you don't speak French either. We can't understand what you're saying, and what that means is, that means he's going to be limited. Or what about maybe a single man who expresses his desire to be an elder in the church? Maybe there are even people who say, oh, brother over here who's, who's just brother single, I mean, he's such a good guy. All, got all kinds of great qualities about him. He's even a CEO where he works and all oh, he possesses, possesses all kinds of leadership abilities. He wants to be an elder in the church. Well, I appreciate his zeal, but, but he can't. He's not married. He's not qualified. And so in that sense, he's, he's limited. Or what about Brother Bagpipes? Brother Bagpipes wants to bring his bagpipes into our worship assembly. And he wants to play us a little ditty. I've heard Amazing Grace played on the bagpipes, and it's pretty moving. I understand about that. So somebody says, let's let Brother Bagpipes play his bagpipes in our worship assembly. Well, as much as I'd love to be able to give him the opportunity to flex his gifts and flex his talents, he can't do that. Because we're not authorized to worship God in that way. He's going to be limited. You see, there's lots of limitations in our assemblies and in the kingdom. Somebody can't just up and say, well, you know what? I want to do it anyway. I want to use my gift. I want to flex my talents. And you know what? That's exactly the problem that was going on in Corinth. And that's exactly why God placed limits on that assembly on men and on women. We must not violate those limits that God has placed today. What women need to do is the very same thing that men need to do. And that is we need to find our place. We need to find our role. We need to find ways that we can then use our gifts within the parameters of what God has authorized. And so, when somebody asks the question, why can't a woman preach? Or why can't a woman be an elder why can't a woman lead a mixed congregation in singing or in prayer or wait on the Lord's table? The answer to that is because it's not a role. God forbids that. And the reason God forbids that is because men and women need to respect the position and the role that God has placed them in in His kingdom. Now let me close this morning with two final admonitions. It's very Important that you don't just shut down and start winding up for the end of the sermon. Let me say first of all a word to our ladies. Ladies, do you remember in the garden, in the third chapter of Genesis, do you remember when the devil was talking to the woman and how he called her attention to and he fixed her eyes upon the one thing that God had not given her? Here this woman had everything else. And yet the devil got her to think about the one thing that God had prohibited and as a result, sin followed. Isn't it ironic today that with so much that women can do in the kingdom of God, the devil is still trying to use that exact same strategy. Hey, look at that one thing that you can't have or you can't do. And sin and error has followed. Sisters, don't be deceived. 
Secondly, let me say to our men, gentlemen, can, can we just have maybe a moment of honesty? Could it be that a lot of this business of women trying to force their way into the pulpit and into these other roles, could it be that some of that is coming because we oftentimes treat women like they are second-class citizens in the kingdom? You know, y'all just, y'all just shuttle on downstairs and get to teaching the Sunday school classes with those little bitty kids. Ah, that's your place. Y'all just take care of that. Could it be that sometimes maybe we have just not valued enough the contributions that our sisters make in the kingdom of God? Could it maybe even be that some of these passages, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, maybe we have abused those passages, we have misused those passages, and we have hindered women from doing things that they could be doing in the kingdom. Is that possible? Gentlemen, what we need to be doing as we exercise leadership in our homes and as we exercise leadership in the church is we need to be constantly and consistently and powerfully saying that women matter to God. We need women and we need our sisters in the church. This church would not function without all of the roles that women play and play so capably. We rejoice in the great an important work that women do in the kingdom. And we rejoice in the great work that men do in the kingdom. Because what we simply want to be here is a church that exalts and glorifies God. And one of the greatest ways that we can do that is by simply doing what He has said. Only then, only then will we truly be a church of Christ. Now if you are using a songbook, you can reach for that now. Because in just a moment we are going to sing the song of invitation. I would hope this morning that one of the things that has been evident to you is that God most certainly has a pattern. And He has an order for how He wants things done in His kingdom. And that is also true when it comes to God's pattern and God's order for our salvation. We sometimes refer to that as God's plan of salvation. And that entire plan, it all revolves around Jesus Christ. Hearing the good news of Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ. Confessing Christ as Lord and as the Son of God. Repenting of sin and turning to Christ. And then being buried and united with Christ in the waters of baptism so that our sins are washed away. We're then added to the family of God and we can begin serving in the role that God has given us to play. Can we help somebody this morning to take those critical steps to become a Christian? All things are ready for you to do that today. Brother or sister, it may be that you're not serving the Lord as you should. Sin maybe has creeped back into your life. Or it may just be that you've just, you just gotten lukewarm. You just have not been fulfilling the role that God has given you in His kingdom. Repent of that. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Let's help each other to serve the Lord in a better way so that we all can go and be with the Lord in heaven someday. God is calling yet. And God is calling right now. And we beckon you to come through the words of this song. Do that while we stand and while we sing.